Hello, this is Naziati Muhammad Yaqub, your host on Talk Architecture Podcast, talking to you about a recent article that I read by Joseph Brennan. Joseph Brennan wrote this article in September 2021, but he subsequently wrote a couple of other articles at medium.com. And basically, these um, articles are under Digital Practice for Architects, a manual. So the particular architect, uh, uh, sorry, article that I'm interested in commenting, uh, some of the paragraphs that he has written is called The Challenges Facing Architecture. To rethink architecture, we must first examine the enormous challenges that are currently facing our industry. So before he talks about digital practice for architects in detail and giving recommendations, he discusses first the premise of it all, the context of what architecture is all about. And I appreciate that very much. In lieu of all the discussions that we had had in our other episodes, and some of the points resonate with this article. And as an American uh, from the United States of America, um, it is interesting to find similarities in terms of the problems. And it's not just a Malaysian problem. So um, looking back at what we have discussed, one of the issues is regarding the problems and the complexities of architectural practice that one would have at a certain level coming in from fresh gra- uh, freshly graduating the year before or recent graduate and coming in at the uh, mid-level as well to deal with the f- fast, rapidly changing technology and how one would like to cope with that. So there are all these things that, that uh, Brennan discussed in his article. I'd like to pick out some of the things that he said. He gave a, a background to himself, and he said he loved architecture. He began studying it in 2007 after many years of uncertainty about his professional future. And so, like us all, everybody... This may happen where we are not sure is this the the profession for me, especially uh, for those who recently graduate. So, and that has to do with a lot of things in which he discussed in this article. He said that um, eventually he realized it was what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. He loved the merger of creative and critical thinking. Remember, we talk about critical thinkers, and that is one of the things that we take for granted that train in certain schools of architecture. We are exposed to critical thinking. So, um, but of course, that is also um, coupled with the idea to create and being creative. So he said that he loved the fact that ideas are expressed visually and tangibly. So only a few people love architecture. And it is those of us who, until many, many, many years later, we are still doing architecture. So um, 
There are variations from the traditional architectural practice, but we are still doing architecture, and not um, something that is non-architecture. But there's something that he said, which is interesting as well. He said he loved buildings, and um, he always chose to walk around the residential neighborhood, looking at the houses, or looking at the roof lines and all that. I could recall the time when I was really into architecture as a student of architecture, and even as a uh, recently graduated. And yes, you know, uh, life is long, and uh, we see the times when we look at architecture differently after a while. But at the end of the day, there's something about architecture that that is uh, something that we feel special about being in the architecture field. So he also teaches architecture, and um, so he he remained in architectural academia for some time. And um, I'm just going through very quick quickly. Um, I'm not gonna go into that uh, architecture education, but he talks about that in a paragraph or two. So we're focusing on the practice of architecture and the many challenges. So we're coming to one of the topics that he mentioned is, um, um, oh, before I go into that, um, he, he concluded that this article will highlight some of the issues and over the coming weeks, he will explore strategies to help deal with these issues to make the practice more equitable, accessible, and profitable by implementing digital practice methodologies. So that's basically where he's coming from. He wants to discuss on digital practice methodologies and how to resolve some aspect or system that is a traditional way of doing things and how that could be uh, more being done efficiently or being done better than before. But he does talk about the context and the premise where he's coming from, which is first about the salary issue. So he did say that architecture has one of the worst debt to income ratios for, of all professional industries. The path to obtaining a professional degree can vary, but in the United States, this most likely consists of either five years of an undergraduate degree or seven years total of an undergraduate plus a graduate degree. So um, similar to many uh, places in the world. So he talked about profession, uh, the professional exams. They call it license, licensure requirements. Okay, licensure. Okay. Um, and he talked about how it varies state by state. But yeah, he talks about this as well and the financial burdens and so on. So this is a quote that I, I quoted earlier um, uh, when I posted uh, this article. He said that he genuinely hate to see when a talented junior architect leaves the profession to pursue a career in a peripheral industry. They often make the jump to real estate, construction, tech, or the client side as an owner's rep to name a few options. But is it really that hard to blame them? While toiling through the long hours working as a junior architect for meager pay, 
I would often wonder if it was all worth it. So we we got feedback from uh, discussions earlier regarding problems of recent graduates and how they uh, felt, some of them felt uninspired or felt that it's too much of a burden and they jump um, to another um, in industry and it was named graphic design to be have much better pay than architecture. So this is one of the things that um, is a challenge to us all at the junior architect level. When it comes to mid-level architect, there's other issues as well. <clears throat> so he says that I know it can be challenging right at times, but I categorically love architecture and want to see it thrive. I hope that we as an industry can provide strategies to make our process more efficient, increase profits, share that financial influx with employees at all levels, and retain young, ambitious architects. So I also hope to encourage a new generation of architects to think differently about the design process and showcase their ability to revolutionize the industry by implementing change from the ground up. I do not want people to see, I do not want to see people leaving, leaving the industry, but I want to see the industry adapt to changing tides and reverse some of the trends causing people to flee. It's a very ambitious and noble way of thinking about architecture from Brennan. Okay, so he talks about, this is the interesting part. While we're talking about attrition, we might as well discuss the increasing loss of scope within the design process to external consultants and surprisingly to our clients themselves. Don't get me wrong, I do think outsourcing or taking certain aspects of the process away from architects and designers is valuable and necessary. One thing that comes to mind here is building department filings. So local authority, or you know, a lot of forms to be filled. So this is the issue here. Although one could argue that a more efficient filing process would be an alternative solution, more on that in later articles, removing filing from an architect's plate frees up more time for them to focus on what they should be doing, architecture. However, many aspects of the design process are being outsourced to sub-consultants that could be managed by the architect. We also see the management and oversight of larger projects shift from the architect's scope to large engineering firms or general contractors. I am fearful that the future role of an architect is that of a consultant who is in charge of mainly design oversight and the architect's traditional role as a project coordinator or more nostalgically master builder will disappear. Let me go and re uh, read up some of these interesting passages. Um, here's another one. As projects increase in size and complexity, it becomes increasingly difficult for architects to streamline the design process. Uh, 
It also increases our reliance on outside consultants aligned for more focused expertise at the expense of creating complex communication and coordination channels. Therefore, project life cycles are still long and show no signs of decreasing. It's not unheard of for a mid-sized building to take five or more years to complete from the moment the design process starts until they're ready to move in. Five years, think about how much your life has changed in that period. So there are more on this if you wish to read an article. I'm going to go into talking about what he said about recessions and economic life cycles in which architecture is one of the least recession-proof industries out there. Let's face it, almost every industry that relies on financing and steady cash flow is negatively impacted by recessions. Now you talk about that in detail. And um, recessions can cause projects to slow down, go on hold, or completely stop, which is deadly for a profession that relies so heavily on consistent production, billing, and cash flow. Strategies that help decrease the length of a project design increase flexibility within the design process and re-examine the revenue streams of architecture can help mitigate the negative impact a recession has on a firm. It is often difficult to explain the necessity of architecture and why an architect is required on specific projects. To this point, architecture is primarily a luxury. Let me explain by exploring a few scenarios in which an architect gets hired. Some clients want a boutique unique design. They see an architect's website or Instagram post and think, I like that. I want something like that. And so they go out and potentially hire that architect. Sometimes a business has a particular need and they know an architect specializes in a specific type of building like healthcare or workplace. Hence, they go and potentially hire the architect. All of that being said, it is not mandatory to retain an architect to get approval for a project. Engineers can do this in many jurisdictions. There are also projects where the amount of work or type of work doesn't require any professional sign-off, so you can skip the approvals process altogether. Architects typically do not do most of the production on larger projects, and specific typologies of buildings may seem like they don't need an architect. In fact, it is estimated that the percentage of buildings designed by architects is in the single digits. Actually, he has a comprehensive knowledge about what's happening out there in architecture practice and is a good article for that. He illustrate something that is important for us to, under, to, you know, we know this, but he illustrates it very well here. I was working on a small residential project once and a client started asking me about the design process. They first inquired about the structural framing and foundation of the house. I explained how 
I usually roughly sketch out the concept. Then I send that concept out to an engineer who actually sizes and specifies everything. Then they ask if I would select and design their air conditioning and heating system. I responded that I usually work with a mechanical contractor to figure out those systems. Then they asked if I would get the building permit, and I told them an expediter handles that. Finally, they asked if I could figure out how much it would cost when all I all is said and done, and I responded. Well, we'll need to get a contractor on board before we can figure that out. I'll never forget the look on their face when the client asks, "What is it that you actually do?" Of course, the, that anecdote is an exaggeration, but it's a fair representation of the fact that it's difficult to describe the value architects bring into a project. Lawyers litigate, write contracts. They help families with wills and purchasing. Property, accountants file tax returns, analyze the finance of companies, and perform audits. Doctors examine their patients, perform surgery, prescribe medicine, and recommend treatment. Architects design buildings, but a lot of other professions do that as well. So we know that, right? That that there are other a lot of other professions that's involved with designing buildings. In fact, some general contractors will do this as part of their construction services, and many jurisdictions allow engineers to file to get a permit. One could argue that engineers will actually be able to perform most of the calculations outside the architect's expertise, so they are more qualified in many instances. So, why hire an architect or? More precisely, why hire an architect to be the project leader when the design is a small part of the overall process? And we know the answer to this <laughs> if you've been in, involved in practice before. In the end, we often lose projects because it can be hard to justify the cost of architecture by implementing advanced analytical thinking and digital practice into our processes. We can first prove how the value of good design can provide a high return on investment, not necessarily financial, but also sustainably, culturally, and ethically for our clients. So now we know why that sustainable design is such a big deal because、um, there are these aspects that、uh, the architect would be deemed to be more not.、Um, Able to assist the client rather than the other professions involved in buildings. So, if we talk about culture and ethnic, ethnic, ethnic issues, especially in sustainability, of course, including social sustainability, and also how that return on investment, the ROIs, can be tracked early and often make to make sure we are fulfilling the project needs. We can also leverage emerging technologies to help capture the scope we are losing by making more intelligent, better informed decisions. This can make architecture more accessible, opening up our client base and influence as stewards of the built environment. So, a good take on what architects can do in this day and age, and giving a win-win situation really, rather than a、uh, 
you know, having that perspective that everybody else is taking the job of the architect and what would the architect do? So this guy actually tried to um, argue a case, argue that there are digital practices on methodologies that he would advise for architects to uh, learn and apply in their practices. So is a, these articles are great, you know, so that you can uh, enter into the debate about what's happening. So um, now there's two more um, sort of paragraphs that's very important as well. So now we've covered the industry's value determination and financial issues. Let's talk logistics. The architectural design process is desperately in need of an overhaul. For those who have never been through it, let me give you somewhat abbreviated breakdown of this process for a developer-driven mid-sized project. So he's going to explain about this scenario. First, a potential client looks at a property for possible development or already has a property in their portfolio at some point. The client makes the decision that they want to move forward with the project. In our scenario, this is a mid-sized office building in Manhattan with a retail component at the bottom. This decision was most likely based on zoning allowances, market conditions, and the client's development strategy. There are probably thousands of mid-sized office buildings with retail components in Manhattan already in existence. So it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here. They may at this point award the project to a single architect for the whole building, but they may also likely award the building, or as we call it core and shell or base building, to one architect and the interior design or fit out to another. Sometimes this fit out designer is selected by a future building tenant, or sometimes the developer chooses them as part of the overall design process. In either instance, let's assume it's two different design teams for the building. They may even award the retail at the base to a third or more entity or hold off on designing these spaces until they have tenants for them, which comes later. So this is quite common as well in Malaysia, yeah, in Kuala Lumpur. And um, yeah, we've seen examples of uh, a lot of projects where um, there are awards for different parts of the building. So the architect mainly deal with the shell or the, the external, um, more of um, the infrastructure of the basics, yeah. Now, scheduling and communication between design firms can become an issue. You can create the retail space in tandem with the rest of the building, which provides a host of coordination issues between different design firms. Alternatively, you can start the fit-out process of those retail spaces after construction starts, which usually leads to demolition and reconfiguration of a space before it is ever even occupied. At this point, we may have three or more architectural firms working on the project before the building is even completed. 
this is your head spinning it. It's okay. Yeah, that's why he's saying that, you know, um, we traditionally feel that architect does everything, but actually, and, and also the architects are the one that's responsible to, to getting the different consultants, but no, actually the client would have already in mind themselves. They even have an architect working with them to watch, uh, to like prepare the client's brief. And um, so the project could be, um, have less of the architect's control. So now that we have the design team in place, it's time to get consultants on board. So he talks about the, um, at a minimum, you have the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, fire protection consultant, and a structural consultant. Sometimes the architects involved in the project will use the same consultant within the same building, but they frequently do not. Those consultants now need to communicate with each other, meet the architectural requirements, and tie their systems together seamlessly. So we know that about, uh, with regard to maybe one part, a small part of the, um, for example, he, he, he described the ceiling uh, where, you know, a lot of things could be, uh, services could be um, placed um, above the false ceiling and because of different requirements, so you have to coordinate it properly. And, um, and this is one of the things that architects really have to do to coordinate and um, the project architect or the resident architect at site in, in Kuala Lumpur. We do, we do have a lot of these um, at site architects and then we have uh, this contractor um, also coordinating um, the works on the contractor side. So there's a lot of communication that we need to be doing. And um, that is one of the telling factors uh, that I also found in Danny, Adami Lee's uh, YouTube video on the, the challenges that architecture graduates will um, face in practice. And she also talked about um, the skill to the day-to-day -day things that you have to do because a project is stretched out and you may, maybe be working on one project for the whole year. And in that scenario, you'd be working in a team and you'd have to go and communicate with the, in I mean the, the architectural team themselves it would be two three people even more and then you have also the consultants that you have to deal and communicate with so there's a complexity involved constantly learning new systems and working with engineers is also similar what Dami Lee saying with Brennan where um, you know there's a lot of other things involved with building that we are learning as we go on all the other things that he mentioned, budget, specialization, working, <clears throat> the decision later um, <clears throat> for the architect to work with themselves, work for yourself or work with others for their career and so on. So I think the similar issues here with both the this article and the YouTuber. Um, and um, so like Brandon said, siloed workflows occur commonly with external consultants, but they are also a major internal issues within companies. So yeah, working alone is not a good thing. Specific teams or employees are asked to focus on certain aspects of the project with minimal overlap. 
As a result, it's often difficult to evaluate how decisions affect other parts of the project, both internally and externally. <coughs> so, this is not even talking about the contractor. This is what Brandon says. So, I'll leave it there and I'll, to for you to read the article and for you to think about uh, the um, challenges facing architects in this day and age. Um and the overall challenges facing architecture, obviously. So um, we continued the discussion and I put it out there so that um, there are a lot of these reading materials that we can be informed about. And thank you for listening for this session. Have a good day.